Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, shapes, sorts, and sizes. This is Josh Belcher, host of the continuing saga known as the Uncharted Podcast. I hope you had an excellent Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. I hope it was good, fun, happy, and healthy, and you were safe and had the best time that could be expected out of 2020. And now we've moved on into 2021. Hopefully it'll just get better. I'm trying to stay optimistic. Uh, with that being said, fantastic podcast interviews for you to enjoy this week. We've got singer, songwriter, actor Travis Howard. If you're a fan like I am of Leslie Jordan, the funny little southern guy from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who gets on Instagram and whatever social media you may ponder and tells little funny stories. If he ever goes to sing a tune, Travis Howard is right there behind him playing guitar, backup vocals. It turns out he's a fantastic person to talk to. Uh, it's got a great story, and I was enlightened and felt privileged for the opportunity to interview him. That's coming up here on the podcast. Travis Howard, great artist. Check him out. Written a ton of smash hits for Miranda Lambert and other artists. That was just the one I could think of off the top of my head. Check out his website and listen to his interview. We've also got drummer extraordinary plays for Mark Willis. This Bryce Williams on the podcast talking from everything to playing with Charlie Pride on a country music boat tour slash cruise or whatever you want to call it to playing drums with infused feet and legs and ankles and just uh, impaling his knowledge on the craft. A very intelligent man. You can tell he spent a lot of time studying his craft. He is a phenomenal drummer. He also gets on social media, puts down these funky beats and records them. Uh, he solos, which is uh, you don't hear a lot of in music right now anyway, but he solos uh, when he performs country music, which I thought was flipping awesome. So without further ado, Happy New Year. I'm going to quit flapping my jowls. And let's get on with the Uncharted Podcast. Here we go. First guest on the podcast, singer, songwriter, actor extraordinaire, Travis Howard. Let's let him do his thing on the Uncharted Podcast. Here we go. Hey, Travis, I will tell you something. I'm going to be honest about it. I'm fortunate enough that, you know, when I get to interview interesting people such as yourself, and, and I've had a, quite a catalog, but I have all the podcast equipment, don't even know how to use it, so I just record from my phone and put it on online. <laughs> There's all this shit sitting in the corner. It's like, man, that'd make a nice show. Yeah, yeah. How I got... I'm sorry. I got the microphones, the, the you know the uh, the speakers, the computer. I got the uh, mixing board, the whole shebang, and just don't know how to use it. <laughs> well, I mean, I was looking through your back catalog of stuff, and I'm like, it seems like you've done pretty well with just a phone. Yeah, not too bad. And when I go talk to some people, like um, before the pandemic hit, I was fortunate enough to go to the James uh, Burton get together um, at the Nashville Symphony. Yeah. And I'm sitting in this room, and there's, you know, Skunk Baxter, uh, Steve Colonel Cropper, uh, Paul Schaefer, just a bunch of people, Steve Warner, people just ricocheting off my head. And here I am walking around <laughs> with this, this iPhone and this little microphone. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's like, the way to do it, man. Yeah, they're like, boy, you can tell this boy's backwoods. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least he's got an iPhone, you know. At least he didn't come there with, like, a cassette recorder and a little microphone. Well, if someone had to talk me into that, I'd probably just took my flip phone in there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Travis Howard, I, uh, you know, I'm a novice musician, but I've always been a fan of the the songwriter because to me, they have the greatest gift of all. And and you seem like you've got it, my brother. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Well, thanks, man. I mean, that's flattering. Well, I hope I, I don't disappoint you. Well, no, I like to hear songs, but what, what really, what what first brought me to to learn about you is that you, you back up uh, Leslie Jordan. You uh, you carry the uh, the weight there, playing guitar and, and and backing up his vocals, which is, you know, of course, I'm sure people ask you how did that collab come to be. I mean, he's like the funniest human being ever, but like uh, the singing, like you really complimented him well. How did you guys become a or whatever? 
that's such a deep dive. Like you're not going to believe the story, <laughs> but, uh, Leslie is, you know, Leslie grew up in Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when he, as soon as he could, he got out, uh, and just started, he wanted to go to Hollywood, wanted to be an actor. So he, he's been out here for decades, you know, just doing sort of, um, character acting things and whatever. He, he won the Emmy for being on Will and Grace. This is 10 plus years ago, maybe. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's got a pedigree. I met him 22 years ago uh, here in, in uh, Hollywood. They were doing, he, he and some friends were doing a, a play, uh, like in a 99 seat theater. I go to this play and I was just bowled over by it. He was in it. Octavia Spencer was in this play. Wow. Uh, the director of and writer of The Help, Tate Taylor, was one of the leads in the play. And uh, Octavia is from Alabama, Tate's from Mississippi, Leslie's from Chattanooga, and I'm from Georgia. So is. we all, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we bonded over, if nothing else, like just Southernisms in our accents, you know, because there just weren't that many people at the time in, in Hollywood that had Southern accents. Yeah. So, you know, we're just buddies and we have dinners together and we, you know, kind of pal around together. 20 years later, um, you know, Leslie and I, we, we stay in touch and we do some stuff. We were, we were working on a little project a couple of years ago that really didn't come together yet. And this thing came, uh, uh, this last, so 2020, kind of the pandemic, everybody's at home. Leslie starts just doing dumb little, well, shit, we all doing? Uh, yeah, on yeah, Instagram yeah. and people went crazy. So at some point, um, I was doing just like sort of Sunday morning. I did a hymn. I told a story because I was at home. I didn't have anything else to do. And he was like, well, I want to do that. So he came over and we started doing Sunday morning hymn singing. Uh, and that's, you know, everybody really loved it. You had all these people from the South that probably grew up just like we did. Yeah. Um, they're like, we love this. Please keep doing it. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, should we make a record? And I'm like, not if you want to make any money. No, you should not. Um, <laughs> and but I'm like, if if there's a if it if it starts to make sense, then I would love to do it because it just who doesn't want to do, um, you know, just fun stuff like that. You don't have to write anything. Just pull some old hymns from the late 1800s and and record them with great musicians. All right, I'll do it. Um, th th he got offered a some sort of television special by a company here in Hollywood. They were like, we're, we're real interested in your story, and we'd love to do like a TV special. And at that point, I'm like, yes, that, now's the time to make a record. Because if it can go, like, be a companion piece to this TV special, yeah. that, that's a great idea. And so that's, yeah, that's what, I mean, that's the story from then till now. I guess it's in a nutshell, but collaborators. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's like I said, you, you never know, you know, uh, what's going to become of things like that. But it is, it's so funny because living in Middle Tennessee right now, uh, I was born in Franklin, Tennessee, and that's like finding a unicorn for the first time. And all these people that are that are flocking here to live that aren't from the South, they're eating that stuff up because they just don't believe that's how people talk. But, I mean, you know, that's there's still exactly a couple of right. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Like, I remember my uh, – I had a, a gra my grandmother, God rest her soul, she'd say that, well, shit, what are y'all doing with? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I remember, like, when we were just getting to know each other. Cause I, coming out here in 1997, I, feel, I still felt I was young, and I felt like, you know, I should kind of suppress that. I should be more like these people out here. So I was trying to get rid of my accent and try to be yeah, cool. Yeah. And Leslie calls me up one day. He's like, you got to come over to Dale Shore's house. We're, they're having a party, and they're going to have, you know, casserole and cornbread. And ain't no telling what all. And <laughs> it's the first, it was the first time in, like, 10 years I had heard somebody say, ain't no telling what all. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah that's who I am. That's where I came from. Yeah. So he, he just does it innately. Yeah, it, it, it's great. Authentic self. Uh that's like with me, when I started uh, some years back, probably about uh, 2000, when I was getting into radio, same thing, trying to, you know, get rid of everything that I've ever known, and, and y'all, and ain't, and used to could. And right. Now that I'm a ripe old man, I just brought it back. It is what it is. You either like it or you don't. I can't do nothing I'm sorry. About I still say Mike could, and my wife just beats me down about it. She's like, seriously, you're going to use that in English? I'm like, yes, I might could. Yeah, Mike could. Hey, we ought to do that. 
<laughs> speaking of speaking of wife, and I didn't want to pry too much, but I saw on Instagram. Are you guys expecting a little one? You better believe it. She's going to. Man. Fantastic. Thank you. This is my yeah. first one. She's going to get her twenty week scan today, so Thank it's going to be right. a long one. Yeah, they take Good. pictures of that little girl. It's a girl. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome. I got two girls, uh, sixteen and twenty, and I started young. Uh, Woo. But uh, I had my twenty year old a few weeks ago say something and. Dad, I'm not a little baby anymore. I'm like, I don't care if I'm 100 and you're 80. You're still. You're a little baby. It's the greatest thing you'll ever love. And it'll keep you on your toes more than you could ever imagine. Well, I'll take some advice whenever you're ready to give it. That's it. That and uh, I hope you slept enough. <laughs> nah, yeah. At this age, I get up at, you know, 430 in the morning anyway. Yeah. Well, you, you'll be good. I'm, I'm the same way. Even if I got a day off, I'm still up with the chickens. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, what I saw. Um, you know, you're talking about being in Georgia. You, did you did you spend a brief stint? Didn't you live in Nashville before going to L.A., like with National Star and all that good stuff? Yeah. Uh, actually, before that, I was uh, I graduated from high school, and three days later, I moved up to – I joined this band literally out of the back of a mute magazine, like one of those <laughs> ads that I used to put in there. I saw it there, like, we're looking for a guitar player. And I sent them a VHS video of me playing and singing. And they were like, uh, we don't want you to be a guitar player, but actually, would you mind coming and being the lead singer? And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. Moved up to Michigan, spent four years traveling like the whole U.S. We went to Australia and Europe and stuff. It was one of those down and dirty uh, bands that would go and play for high schools and you know, for mothers to get drunk driving or whatever, and just, you know, yeah. don't do drugs, kids. Uh, and I did that for a long time. And then when I I got through that band, that was in the early 90s, I was like, I need to move to Nashville because that's where yeah. I'm going to make it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah, so I moved to a little place off a of Harding Place, a little apartment complex full of roaches, and <laughs> got a delivery job. And I stayed there. I don't know, like six years, um, and like, and, but nothing happened because I didn't, I was so young. I didn't know what I wanted or how to get it or who to ask or you know I joined bands and stuff, but nothing really swung out for me. And at that point, I just took off to L.A. and uh, so I, by '97, I was in L.A. just like starry-eyed. I cannot believe I live in Los Angeles, California, because I'd never been out out of the south other than that Michigan thing yeah um and that was just amazing and then at some point I started playing these little coffee house gigs somebody saw me play that show those little shows and asked if I wanted to be on Nashville Star and I'm like I I don't I don't think that's a good idea because it's reality tv was brand new and I just felt like Ooh, that's gonna you know ruin my credibility and uh, all this, and I was just like, I, I want to be a pure artist, and all this. That's a whole time I'm like a a bartender, you know, at a yeah, yeah. tequila restaurant. Mm. And one somebody from Sony called up, and she was like, Really? Like, what credibility is it that you think you're saving here? <laughs> just do the damn show. I'm yeah, like, all right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did it. I got on National Star. I met Miranda, um, and you know, we just started writing and writing and writing together. That's so cool. Yeah, that, that's a great story. And you were on the the season, her wasn't her and Buddy Jewel with the two uh, there towards the end, fighting it out. That's right. She was number three. Uh, number two was John Arthur Martinez, and Buddy Jewel was number one. It was the first season. That's cool. Yeah, and then you know they, Chris Young and a couple other guys. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying when you're when you're a young buck and in, in, in your art and everything, and you're like wanting to preserve like. Uh, I, I could see where you'd be kind of hesitant, but like if the money's there and, and you know, like you said, met Miranda Lambert, you guys have done a string of albums together. So that's real cool. Yeah. I mean, when you're young, I, whether you're a musician or not, you just think you know everything. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I remember. I, <laughs> I wish there, there's some there's some points in my life I wish I could go back and just talk to my myself and say, hey, uh, this uh, this ain't going to be the best venture you've ever gotten into. Uh, tell me this. How are you dealing with that with your daughters? Um, you know, believe it or not, this this is what's going to sound crazy. I'm 38 years old, and I'm a lot – I don't have as much piss and vinegar running through my veins as I used to. Uh-huh. Her and her – I'm going to set an example, and luckily she don't listen to this, so she'd kill me. Her and her boyfriend, <laughs> they live on their own. They do their thing. 
they, uh, he was wanting to travel from uh, Columbia to Shelbyville for another job. He's wanting to work two jobs, which is he's a hustler. I like him. You know, he's good to my daughter. Uh huh. So their big venture was they wanted to buy a diesel truck, and one with 300 plus thousand miles on it. Oh, wow. Nice. So, you know, my first instinct is to go tell them, okay, you're wanting to travel and tell them all the reasons why this is the worst idea they've had thus far. <laughs> but I, I didn't do it. I held back because it's like what I've learned, you know, from my thing is that that's like adding fuel to the fire when your parents tell you to do something. It's just more ammunition. Well, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm an adult. This is my decision. Yep. And then I wait, and I've gathered all the aftermath. Like, oh my God, I can't believe we spent six grand on this truck. Thanks, stays broke down. It don't do this. It don't do that. And, and that's just the circle of life, you know. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to, you know, they don't want to listen until it's too late. It's true. I mean, I, I think that all the time. You can't really pass on wisdom. You can, no. you know, you, you tell them, or at least my my parents did, and and I was like, yeah, whatever. I know better. Um, and then it's not till like five or ten years later than that that you look back and go, oh, they did know what they were talking about. It didn't do me any good, but they were right. Yeah. My mom, my mom, who predominantly raised me, she could tell me to go left and I'd go as far right as you can imagine. Yeah. I just got to – I'm not <laughs> looking forward to that. Yeah, Shakespeare said it best, youth is truly wasted on the young. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I'll tell you this from my life, though. I was very, very, very fortunate to uh, – I raised in a tiny town in Georgia, uh, very poor people. You know, my dad worked at a factory. My mom was a dietitian at a elementary school. So I that normally uh, somebody like that would either get out of high school and go to college and then get a job or just go straight to getting a job and living that life. And I was really lucky to just get to play music and mess around. And I lived kind of like two childhoods, so I didn't really grow up until I was 40-plus. Mm-hmm. Well, Not everybody least, gets yeah. to do that. That's true because, like, with me, um started having kids, found out I was going to be a dad at 17 and just had to go to Woo. work. And one thing, and I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back, but there are times, you know, being a young person that was a drummer, used to being in a band, I had to skip shows, I had to quit playing, I mean, I had to go right to work, so, um, and now that I'm on the end, like, I got a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old, you know, I, I'm back into playing music, I just bought a bass, and uh, once I, my obligations are done as far as, like, you know, the child support and all that, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping right back in head first. That's a great idea. Never too late. Yeah, can't get it out of my veins. It's, you know, right now, fortunate enough, um, you know, I get to talk about it, and I, I love it, and I'm an observer and watch a lot of bands. But, you know, there's there's nothing, there's no substitute driving 45 miles, spending $25 in gas to make seven bucks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it's just, it, it gets in, you can't get it out. Well, let me ask you this. When you said you lived on Harding's Place, did you live there at the time that they had that deer head mounted on the outside of that house? Oh God! I was were, like, yeah. I might not remember that. This would have been early, like 1991. Oh, okay. Because like right there, uh, I would guess between 97 and 2000 to 2001, somebody rented out one of those houses and put a full, uh, I don't know, eight nine point buck head right outside, mounted it right on the brick. Really? (laughs) Every time I think of Harding Place, I mean, it's done now, but every time I think of Harding Place, I think about that deer. Like, what were they thinking? I mean, all terrain, all weather. He was just out there just had his head poked up. I'm just wondering, like, the weather must have played a lot of havoc with a deer head. Yeah. There's no amount of taxidermy. He's getting wet. No. He's he's rotting it off of that. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Nice going. Oh, I saw you, you did a little thing about Joshua Tree, which is something I've always wanted to see. Or, or Is that where you're at right now, or what was that all about on your Instagram? Um, I live uh, – I, well, I just – me and her just moved. I've been in Hollywood proper for a long time. I live right next to the Hollywood Bowl. At, but nice. because we needed a little more room for the little baby, we moved to the yeah. valley over to Studio City. Uh, but uh, another little project I've been working on for the last couple of years is building a house in Joshua Tree, like a little sort of – just a – Jacky little luxury place to get away. Yeah. And I'm building it all alone. And so it's taking me a lot longer than it needs to. Oh, I hear you. But hey, at least you got something to look forward to. That and something else I want to see, and I'm probably saying it wrong, is the Cabazon dinosaurs, the ones from Pee Wee Herman. 
Are they out there? Oh, he's out there. Yeah, you pass him right on the um, right off the freeway. You can see him on the way down there. Yeah, hey, if you come down, let me know, and I'll I'll put you up in the house. All right, brother. I appreciate. It. Yeah, I uh, I looked. Uh, I'm a I'm a driving kind of road trip kind of guy kind of guy. One day and four hours from Columbia, Tennessee, to them dinosaurs. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, from where I'm at. <laughs> One day and four hours. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, um, I know you do music, but like you, you did in some acting. I saw you, you were in Elizabethtown, which is I'm gonna rewatch that and try to find. Love that movie. Uh, what are you doing currently? I know you have Filthy Rich, and they I guess they canceled it because of budget issues. But are you doing anything else like that right now? I just finished Filthy. Well, I didn't finish it, but it just got through air. And um, right now, I'm working on a a project called Rock Me. It's a a guy named Scott Dolezal from Austin. It's it's a show about it's like Californication except for music. So it's nice. just aged out sort of rock star. You know, he's things are kind of drying up for him in Malibu, and he's got to go back down to Austin and face the music and all that. So I'm writing music and uh doing like executive music producing for that show it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be really cool. that's true man that's doing it when you're executively producing man you're you're doing it what about right. you, did the, you did the mel gibson christmas movie didn't you yeah some old friends uh shot that movie and it's actually it's a really pretty movie that's just like i don't know if you've seen it it's it's a crazy way to be in santa claus but it's funny I haven't. I want to. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't even know if it was available just yet. But you know, that's I'm, I'm behind on everything. So. Yeah. That's cool. I bet that Mel Gibson. That's definitely a bucket list guy to talk to. I, I haven't found the right person, but one day I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like. I posted it like you know we were best friends, but I never actually met him. I just did music for the thing. Um, Walton Goggins is the bad guy in that in that um, movie. You know Walton Goggins from like Righteous Gemstones and a million other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. We were, um, I was sitting at a coffee shop, Blackwood Coffee Shop on Sunset Boulevard uh, last year with my dog and, and Brittany, my wife. And my he was there, and our dogs started messing with each other. So we naturally just started, you know, we said, hey, or whatever. And he goes, where are you from in the South? <laughs> which is a hilarious way to ask right and i'm like oh I'm, you probably haven't heard of it i'm from places close to warm springs georgia and he goes oh, me too oh my god uh, and i'm like what and so we got to talking about all this stuff we found out that walton goggins aunt and my dad worked at the same uh factory in manchester georgia about the same time it was just such a weird connection he got so excited about it just to find somebody else from Warren Springs, Georgia. Yeah, it's always great when you're on the separate ends of the world to find somebody that uh, you know that you, you know has some kind of kindred spirit. You know, I guess you could say. Yeah, man. I, you know, you feel like I said out here. There's probably more Southern people out here now than there were 20 years ago. But I used to, anytime I hear an accent or I see a Georgia license plate or anything like that, I, you know, I had to investigate and see how those people were. Yeah, that's it. What 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 is you? What is your story? Why are you here? Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, what uh, and you have a lot of good causes like justice for vets. What else are you involved in? Uh, that's my big one. I I've been every year. I'll do something for justice for vets because um, uh, the the lady that's sort of the public face of that uh, organization. Her name is Melissa Fitzgerald, and she used to be. Uh, in the show The West Wing, she played one of the characters in The West Wing. And we've been friends for a really long time, and we started just doing stuff for those guys, and it was just such a great idea to, to try to reform the court system, start with vets especially, guys that come home from uh, from service. Sometimes they have a hard time readjusting because we've taught them – we taught those guys to just be rocks and, yeah. you know, immovable forces, and that's, that's what they got to be to serve the country, especially overseas and stuff. They come back, and there's not really a reentry program. For so however hard they had it over there, they're supposed to just come back, relax, be an American again. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. So some of those guys sometimes get in trouble. Uh, you know, they, there's, they got some aggression. They've got some maybe PTSD, whatever the issues are. And sometimes they get arrested for fighting or, or drug-related things or whatever. And instead of remanding those people to, like, jail, which is a horrible idea, 
she, you know, Justice for Vets is trying to convince court systems to go, hey, consider putting these people through treatment instead of incarcerating yes. them. No doubt. And man, I'm like, it's just, it's genius. So like, yeah, I mean, the reason I support that is because I think it's the best idea in the world. And, you know, at some point we can expand that to drug addicts and we can expand that to other people to try to to empty the jails out a little bit and, and make it more of a human connection type thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It, I, we, the reason that appealed to me is it wasn't long ago I was watching a commercial where they're talking about giving to like wounded warrior and this to help, uh, you know, vets and everything, which is I'm for, but it's a shame we live in a country where these people that fight for our freedoms and go serve, they, they should not have to worry about anything when they get back. They really shouldn't. They should have access. To, I fully agree. Yeah. And it, it's heart wrenching. And I just really admire that. And, Good for you. Good on you for doing that. That's uh, that means a lot. Uh, I uh, I I try to. I like the Journey Home Project that uh, Charlie Daniels has here. That's another great one as well. So. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of them, um, and I really I really appreciate the friends of mine who spend their times, you know, just kind of supporting however you can. It's not. Sometimes I feel like I don't. I, there's no way I can make any sort of difference. But if you can just kind of Shine a light on, a, on an organization that you think can make some sort of difference and get one or two people interested in just investigating it. I mean, it's the best you can do, I guess. Yes. I mean, it's, you got to do what you got to do. That's great. Um, how is your uh, – uh, what are you uh, doing during the, the quarantine? Is your writing getting uh, more uh, creative, or, or how do you survive during this lockdown and all that? Oh, man, I, I, you started it. I don't know how you started it, but, like, First, there was like, okay, we've, because we started, we locked down in early March. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, this is going to be good for me. I'm going to, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn the banjo a little bit better. I'm going to yes. do this and that. I'm going to write enough songs to have a whole album or, you know, whatever projects that you've got in the back of your mind. I finally got time to do those projects. Yeah. And I, I started strong. Um, but then as a writer, I just stopped thinking of things to write. Uh, but then, you know, fortunately, I had all these other producing projects and all the equipment that's in the corner of your room, I, I've got it drug out and, <laughs> and, and working on it. So, I've, I mean, I've produced a, an album called Broadway Lullabies with a, a bunch of Broadway singers, some of whom were on Filthy Rich and so, the others of whom I'd, I hadn't even met yet. We did it all remotely. We kind of mailed files back and forth to each other. I was real proud of that. Um, I did the Leslie. I'm still doing the Leslie project. Uh, we are about to. I don't even know if I can say we're doing this thing that I probably should wait till the first of the year to announce it. But uh, me and Leslie are doing kind of this joint thing with um, Apple Music. That's all I can say. But it's going to be cool. cool. Yeah. That's great. Well, I, luckily the four people that listen to me, they can all keep a secret, so you won't have but that's yeah, man, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I, I like I said with my equipment, I'm just waiting for quarantine to get over. I've got a couple of guys that said, you know, they they come over and, and show me how to put it together. But uh, that's what kept me busy quarantine is doing these phone interviews. But uh, I got to step up my game because it's, it keeps growing, and I just got this nice box of stuff that's just antiquing over here. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. There's clearly you've got some kind of uh, you've got some kind of elbow grease happening because like I get an email I, I was trying to tell you this when we started the call I get an email that's like it's like the, it was the the equivalent of passing somebody in the Home Depot parking lot it's just like hey man be on my show and I was like all right and I'm like I don't know anything about this guy uh, so so I had to look up and I was like man he's collected. Uh, quite a few people i'm like okay all right i'm glad i said yes yeah well i appreciate you know my my approach is like whoever it is i i'm a human everybody's a human it's just it's just a simple thing you know i'm not gonna try and, and, and do too much i just want to talk to you and learn about you that's just, that's just me that's how i roll well it's working looks it's like, like it's working a, yeah if we was like at puckett's you know there in franklin you was playing it'd be like hey let me buy a drink come over and chat with me for a bit there you go there you go uh, and you got uh, sorry you got Butch Vig and you got the Smashing Pumpkins guys. Like you, you hooked a bunch of them, man. That's, a, that's impressive. 
I, yeah, I don't know what it is. Like I said, I just like to talk, and, and I've in my life, I've been able to – I could talk to Stripes off a zebra, I think, if I got going. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my, my one talent, that, and I can, you know, I, that's about it. And I'm pretty good at yapping and, I guess, going to work. I can do that. <laughs> I guess people elected to office, man. <laughs> Set your yeah. sights higher. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Batting cleanup on this week's podcast, drummer extraordinaire, drummer of Mark Wills, Bryce Williams. What a brilliant man. Really enjoyed our stimulating conversation. Just a master of the art of drumming. He is an incredible drummer. You can find him on social media playing funky, awesome grooves. Uh, he's one of the rare drummers that solos nowadays in any genre of music, let alone country. Uh, I was very uh, privileged to speak with him. And that's next on the Uncharted Podcast. Enjoy. So, Bryce, uh, once again, Bryce Williams, drummer extraordinaire uh, with Mark Willis. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I'm a big fan. As I said, you know, prior to this, uh, I love the videos you put uh, of you on Instagram. I'm sure you put them other places, but it's like you. And, like, you were doing, like, the, the one I really enjoyed here recently was the one, like, the little Latin uh, the little Latin groove, and you're kind of just soloing on your own. I just, I really think that was a really a funky little thing. So, thanks for sharing that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, uh. I'm still learning how to use that rolling pad, and uh, I don't get a whole lot of time now, even with, uh, you know, the pandemic going on and people quarantined and everything else. I have my whole family at home, and my wife is working from home full time now, and my kids are home, and I don't get a whole lot of time to sit behind the kit and just practice. Um, and they were all they were all out of the house, so I thought I'm going to take this opportunity to play around <laughs> with this new rolling pad, see what kind of sounds it's got, and see you know. So I decided to do that, and then I think I did a couple old Lady A tunes as well, and I've done some uh, Mark Wills stuff in the past as well that I've posted. Um, Mark has uh, we actually just finished his first new album last year. It's his first album in 15 years. Uh, wow. which he had a ton of hits um, in the starting in the mid nineties, going into the mid two thousands. Yeah, Obviously everybody knows 19 something. That was the big, that was the big one. I mean, it was seven weeks at number one, fell out of the number one spot to have you forgotten by Daryl Worley. And then came back into the number one spot, and knocked Daryl out the next week after that. So that's a little thing that we we've toured with Daryl before. And that's a little, little joke that they have going back and forth between between each other you know well you know i knocked you out and then you know well i knocked you back out again and so but uh he's had a ton of hits but we did he became an opry member january of 19 and it was time you know to go back in with becoming an opry member now's the time to do new music uh he kind of stepped back from the spotlights um he's a family man He's got two girls, um, and he wanted to watch them grow up. Uh, sure. Not that not that he didn't work during that time. He did, but it just it work kind of took a backseat to the family life. And his girls are one of them is grown and married now, and the other one is um, finishing up high school. So it, it was like time to get back out and and do that. So we recorded uh, his new album last year, and so hopefully. Maybe he'll add some more hits to the the catalog of hits that he's had over the last twenty five years. So absolutely, I could definitely see that. I mean, he's got a timeless voice, great great vocalist. So probably no problems with that. He sounds yeah. better now than he did back then. His voice, really? and we we keep telling him, yeah. I mean, he's he's known as a singer singer, um, and his voice has. I, I I say this, it's matured like a fine wine. And, um, I mean, we still take everything in the original key. He can still hit everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still fun. So we've only, we've only, uh, we did 10 shows before everything got shut down this year. And wow. since then we have done three full band shows since yeah. March. And, you know, one of them was supposed to be a theater show turned into a drive-in show, which was just weird. Another one was a a show in Lebanon, Tennessee here, and then another one we did on Election Day in Georgia at an outdoor amphitheater. And that really, I mean, it was a great show, 
But, I mean, we all miss each other. We miss playing with each other. We miss seeing each other. We miss being on the bus. I mean, it just we're ready to get back at it. Yeah, you know, as soon as possible, like like everybody else, like everybody else. So yeah, you I, I saw on your Instagram you posted a picture of you and the band. It looked like you're having a group, maybe a group prayer, group hug, or something. And you're talking about you know like you didn't think that that last show wherever you were at in Florida would be like one of the last ones. It's, it's got to be tough. Uh, you know, you got to be missing it, especially being a professional drummer. It's got to be eating at you. And then you like new music and everything. It's got to be uh, pretty hard on you. It is. You know, we. Um, we don't when we get off the bus um we don't walk on stage we always do a group prayer um any local folks that's around whether there be you know the local opening group or security or anybody else they are welcome to jump in and we huddle up and we do a group prayer and we we've done that for years and uh but no i mean when we did that in uh we, we were in punta gorda florida is where we were in on uh, I think it was March 14th, and yeah, we had we had no idea because uh, we had had rehearsal uh, at Soundcheck that entire week of of that show. Uh, we had Soundcheck rehearsal mon- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we loaded out Thursday, and I think that's when everything started shutting down was on Thursday, and we were wondering. We were actually supposed to play the Opry Friday night jump on the bus after the Opry, head to Florida to do the show in Florida. And the Opry was canceled on Friday, which is the first time the Opry's ever been canceled. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't know if the show was going to happen. We got down there. We did the show. Good crowd. Got back on the bus. And, you know, we're thinking, okay, every, everyone says things are going to shut down for a couple of weeks. And, you know, everything will open back up. Here we are, December. That's it. You brought it. It's like okay, well, you know. So I mean, yeah, I mean, we had we had close to close to eighty dates remaining on the books this year, and uh, luckily a lot of them have been moved to next year. But you know, we just we're we're very hopeful that you know we can get back to everything um, sooner than later. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I was thinking today I would gladly wear a Breaking Bad hazmat suit to go to a live concert again. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yep. I just missed it. The last show I saw was last March, and it was the Cleverly's at Puckett's here in Columbia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just thinking now it was crazy because I was sitting at a table uh, elbow to elbow with some strangers. Like, that seems so distant. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I never would have thought I'd ever seen anything like this in my lifetime. and um you know, like I said, I mean, there's, I, there's, you know, how many thousands of people, musicians in this town? They're all going. I mean, we're all going through the same thing. Yeah, you know, nobody's, break. nobody's working, and uh, there's, you know, hopefully end in sight now with there being, you know, more than one vaccine, and, you know, but we'll see what happens. So yeah, just always be hopeful. Always be yeah. hopeful. Prayer, so. prayer, and being hopeful. I'm with you. Um, well, Our prayer. Be- it goes a long way. No, so. I agree. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, losing a lot of great talent. And I saw you post a, a picture and comment on Charlie Pride, who I never had the honor to meet. But how incredible mm-hmm. of an honor not only to play with him, but you said he was a great person, too. Could you talk about him a little bit? Yeah. So in 20, let's see, 2017, um, I was, I guess you would call me the drummer in the house band on the country music cruise and wade hayes who is a 90s country artist was in charge of the house band and um, myself and uh, will atkins who plays piano with mark as well he and i both were in the house band and we were planning on playing with wade and um, we were also going to play with charlie and when i found that out it was just like oh wow Charlie Pride, Charlie Pride. You know, my I can remember my grandparents always listening to Charlie Pride and loving Charlie Pride. And I can remember even when I told my mom, I said, "Yeah, I said, you know, we're going on this cruise, and you know, I'm going to play with Wade, and you know, we're going to play with Charlie Pride." My mom said, "Oh my gosh, my parents used to listen to him all the time. If they were still alive today, they would think this is the coolest thing." And you know, really, it, it was cool, and I got to meet him. Um, on uh, backstage there. They did, 
the Opry at Sea is what they called it. And I got to meet him backstage, and we got on stage and, and did the show. And he actually, we did, uh, is anyone going to San Antonio? And Kiss an Angel, Good Morning were the two songs that we were told to learn. And he ended up calling an audible on us. And <laughs> he turned around and, and, and uh, like I said, Wade's in the band and, and Will's in the band and, and another good friend of mine, Kevin Key, playing guitar. And I honestly, for the life of me, I cannot remember what song he, he called. And he's like, let's do this one. And, and we're, we're all scrambling, looking at each other. And, and Kevin who is an encyclopedia of country music. Kevin's like, I got I'll, I'll get us through it. So we're we're just kind of watching him, you know, for the changes and this and that, and, you know. And we made it through that. And it was, you know, Charlie was happy and it was just it was great, but I mean, truly an incredible gentleman. Um obviously that was my only experience around him, but um he made enough of an impression on me, just an absolute gentleman. And yeah, he was his losses Another huge loss for country music, just like Joe Diffie's was earlier this year, um, yeah. just like Charlie Daniels was, uh, Kenny Rogers. I mean, I can go on and on and on. I mean, I mean, Katie Oslin yesterday. Yeah, she passed. You know, so, but there's there's been a lot. Uh, How catch him? Another one. Oh so, yeah. Okay. A lot of a lot of yeah. losses this year for country music. Yeah, a lot of greats. It's 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 uh, heart wrenching. But uh, I just saw that that uh, picture of you and him, and I thought, wow, what a cool experience. And I just wanted to hear the story. And thank you for sharing. Uh, that is pretty funny. You know, have an audible call and like that when you're prepared. <laughs> yeah, having an audible, you know, you're playing with a living legend, and yeah. you know, you, pre- you you're you're prepared on the two songs you were supposed to do, and then you know he decides to do a third one and turns around and pulls an audible. And it's like. Okay. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> roll it. So exactly. <laughs> with um uh let's say I wanted to bring in uh you know, with your playing, you know, and the watching the way you perform on Instagram and stuff, do you solo during live shows or are you one of the you seem like you could pull off a drum solo during a live performance? I if we yes, if we do an encore, um, which we don't always do an encore with Mark, but if there is an encore, um, we'll all leave the stage, I come back on the stage, I uh, start out with a drum solo and then um, we've got a couple different encore songs that we would go into it just depends on you know what Mark calls out I mean we can hear him in our ears he's got a talk back mic on stage um, or he'll use you know the uh, the uh, talk back mic over in monitor world so I can hear what he's saying what we're going to do so I kind of know how to end the solo and start the groove for whatever song we're going to do after that so, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I've, you know, I've always, you know, kind of like doing the drum solo thing, you know, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, you know, you, you're doing a 90 minute show and it's, you know, playing two and four, which is, you know, it's a lot of people look at country music. It's oh, it's easy. It's just two and four. No, actually it's a lot harder than you think it is. You know, you've got to, no, you've no. got, you've got to make it groove and, and, you know, I mean, cause I grew up playing jazz as well. You know, and but playing simple is sometimes very hard to do because you're always wanting to add this in or add that in. But, you know, it may not fit with the music. You know, I I try to be a song oriented player and, you know, try to complement the music as best I can. And, you know, sometimes that means, you know, you just keep two and four going and, you know, try not to get flashy with anything. So it's kind of nice, you know, to sometimes be able to kick back and say, you know, I can spread my wings a little bit and and yep. do something do some do something cool. So a little bit of rocket. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Um uh the uh let's see, I had a question for you about um with your drum studio, uh I I understand do you give lessons and stuff or are you doing that like online? Like is your approach mm-hmm. like are you Skyping and zooming and all that good stuff? Yeah, I um all of mine I've been teaching I started teaching in high school. Uh, when I was 15 at a local music store uh, in Marion, Illinois, where I'm from. And I taught, I had 17 kids a week back when I was in high school. And I kept doing it through college. Um, And then I finally, I got away from it for a while. And then I finally got back to it again, back in 2014, I started teaching again um, through a school in Franklin. Uh, It was called Roots Music Academy. It's in Franklin. And, um, 
I was there for, I don't know, a little over a year. And then eventually the drive from Mount Julia to Franklin four days a week just really got old. So I thought, well, I'm going to hang out my shingle here in Mount Julia and see what happens. And, um, it's, it's really been good. Um, I've got 13 students a week right now. Um, a lot of them, uh, I'd say I've got probably, I think five or six local kids. And then I've got one in, or excuse me, two in Smyrna. I got one in Green Hills. And then I've got, um, let's see, two in Illinois. I have one in Indianapolis. I've got one in Mobile, Alabama. Um, I had another one in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I had one outside of Atlanta as well. So, you know, I do I do quite a bit of the online um, lessons as well, and I use either FaceTime or Skype for those. Um, I haven't really used Zoom for any lessons. Um, I did a seminar right whenever the pandemic started just to try to get everybody together um, because I usually do a recital every year for my students. And that's, you know, everybody kind of knows each other because they see each other once a year at the recital. And I, I thought this would be a good opportunity for everybody to kind of see each other, even though it's on Zoom, and for everybody to play something that they're working on so everybody else can see what they're working on. Kind of like what we used to do when I was in commercial seminar at Belmont. And, you know, we'd, we'd all you'd have 30 drummers in a room every Tuesday at, you know, I think it was one, two o'clock is what time I think seminar was. And we'd all take turns getting up and playing something in front of Chester. Um, uh, Cause Chester Thompson was um, who I studied with at Belmont at the time. And, right. and he would, he would be there, you know, at, during commercial seminar and everybody get up and play something. And then, you know, next person would get up. What are you working on this week? what they're working on so it was just something that that all my students could kind of see each other and you know because everybody you know being quarantined you're not seeing anybody and it gives them an opportunity to play in front of somebody even though it's over the internet so that's so cool and not to go add on you but you mentioned chester i actually just acquired a weather report record um i believe he's playing on it (laughs) could be yep he he is an absolute legend um I studied with him, you know, the whole from my freshman year all the way through my years at Belmont, and uh, just an incredible drummer. Yes, but an incredible human. Um, he cool. is he is one of the most kind, uh, very gentle, very soft spoken, um, and I can't I can't speak highly enough of him. He he really has had an impact on my life both uh my career and just personally i mean he's just he's just an incredible person yeah incredible drummer that's awesome um Mm -hmm. with with uh, with belmont and this is just curious curiosity for me because i saw a young man not too long ago performing who who is a student at belmont his name is henry conlon he's hitting all the printers out and everything like we were discussing Mm -hmm. he goes to belmont and to me it seems like people that get to go to belmont have an edge on everybody else as far as like the way their knowledge and what they can obtain would you say that being at belmont gives you a unprecedented edge as far as the music business as far as everything you're exposed to by attending belmont that makes any sense it does i don't know if it gives you an edge um I think it would depend on what your major is to me. And, and, and keep in mind, when I was there, you know, I started in August of 98 as a freshman. Um, things were different back then. But, you know, to me, the, the the folks that had a little bit more of an edge were folks that were in the music business department that kind of had – a way to get into the business a little bit better than the school of music kids. Um, okay. Now it, that may have changed. Now I, I I don't know about that, but I mean, you've got. I'm trying to think of all the drummers in the school of music. You know, from whenever I was there, we've got I don't know five or six guys that are that are doing music for a living now that I know of, um, but. It, it was. I think it was harder for us as school of music students to try to get into the business 
maybe, um, you know, where there were some music business students, which the School of Music Business and the School of Music are two completely separate entities, mm-hmm. two completely separate entities. And the School of Music Business students seemed to kind of get in, you know, like with, with internships a little easier, and maybe the internship would lead to something else that would maybe lead to a gig, you know, because uh, there were a lot of great players that didn't go to the School of Music that went to the School of Music Business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I would think that, you know, maybe it d- depended on your major back then, but, uh, you know, I don't know how it is there now. Um, I know that they have a great teacher there now. I know Chester Chester has retired um, from teaching at Belmont, and I know that they've got uh, Jim Riley there now from Rascal Flats. Yeah, and Jim's a fantastic drummer. And all of the stuff that he puts online about his teaching and everything else, fantastic teacher. So they're definitely, you know, they've got a great teacher there. So. Yeah, the reason the reason I'd ask you that is because speaking to Henry, uh, you know, being a novice musician that I am, and basically uh, I didn't attend Belmont or anything, but just the way he presents himself and carries himself and how he talks, he sounds so educated and so advanced, it just kind of, takes me aback a little bit. It just seems like if you go to Belmont, if you really, you know, pursue the craft that you just come out uh, with a better moment, I don't know, maybe a better momentum or you just, he just seems more well-spoken than your average musician. And he attends Belmont. I was just really impressed by that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what, I mean, the Belmont does have, I mean, when I got there, you know, I came from, I came from Illinois and I came from, you know, I did Allstate my senior year of high school, Allstate uh, Honors Jazz Band, you know, which was like the top jazz band in the state. So I came from Illinois, you know, Big Fish, you know, coming to Nashville, and, you know, you're you're thrown in with all these other drummers, and you see how good everybody is. And it's really humbling. And, you know, it makes you up your game. And that that may be what you're talking about, you know, you know, you've got to step it up. You see that, you know, there are people in this school, not just necessarily drummers, but guitar players, bass players, piano players, that are such incredible musicians. And there was a ton of them at Belmont that were like that. And it made you up your game and and become more professional just by being around these folks. You know, I, if it was up to me, and this may sound silly, I would rather, I would like to be, you know, the worst musician in in the band because I'm going to pick up things from everybody else. Everybody else is going to, you know, pull me up more to their level, you know, if if that makes any sense. You know, you don't yeah. want to be the best musician in the band. You know, you want to be the guy that's there that's not as good as this guy or not as good as that guy because they're going to force you to up your game, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, take, really take advantage of the education. Uh, I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and that's very cool. I, I like that. And, you know, and then I saw a video that you posted as well. Um, I think it was from 01, and you're playing, uh, you know, you're killing it on the drums. And I saw in some videos you play traditional grip, some some you play standard. Yeah. Um, do you choose what style you pl- play depending on the song you're playing now? I mean, it seems like you fluctuate, which is I find very interesting uh, in your performances. I did fluctuate for the longest time. Um, I grew up doing drum corps in high school, and everything we did was traditional grip. Um, we had uh, our drum corps instructor. We had two different instructors. The first one we had was uh, from Phantom Regiment, which is a very well-known uh, DCI drum and bugle corps. And then the second one we had was uh, a member of the Commandant's own U.S. Marine Drum and Bugle Corps. Wow. Um, so we had traditional grip you know, kind of hammered into us. And I've always loved, um, you know, watching Vinny Cagliuta play. His left hand is 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 an art form, in my opinion. Like Mark McGuire's swing in baseball, it's an art form. Uh, <laughs> Weckles the same way. Weckles, you know, his traditional grip exact the same way. And used to, I would go back and forth depending on what felt better on what song. You know, this song, oh, it may feel better traditional grip. This song, eh, it may feel better match grip. However, this summer, this past summer, um, I ended up studying with Dave Weckl this past summer. And right uh, I did, uh, you know, he did the online lesson thing, so I did that. And uh, one of the things he told me, because 
we had the opportunity um, I could send him a video ahead of time so he could kind of go through and critique it and and kind of get an idea of what I'm doing and so on and so forth. That way, whenever the lesson started, we can focus on what I need to work on. Um, so I, I sent him the video ahead of time, and, and I went back and forth between matched and traditional in that video that I sent him. And and he told me, he said, you know, my left hand looks good traditional, looks good matched. He said, you know, if I can make a recommendation, he said, pick one. He said, pick one. And I thought, okay, well, okay, yeah, traditional. I, I like traditional, but, yeah, I, I play open-handed sometimes, you know, with match grip, and match grip kind of does make more sense for this thing, not as much with traditional. So since I did my I, I, I did my studying with him in June, so since June I've really been trying to just go straight match grip. Um, where you know, and and even with, in my own in my own teachings with my own students, every student I have, even though I played traditional grip all these years, they all wanted to play match grip. So, you know, nothing's changing for them. I'm just playing match grip now during their lessons instead of traditional grip. So, but yeah, it's it's taken a little getting used to because you know I'd go back. If anything rudimental, I would always play traditional on. Now I'm I'm trying to get my match grip rudimental chops up to where my traditional one was just, you know, kind of going with what, with what Dave Weckl said, you know, just pick one, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you tell me about that, it, it also intrigued me, um, being a tried and true professional as you are, um, still taking lessons. I mean, uh, uh, do you, do you feel like there's never, uh, there's always room for improvement no matter how, how phenomenal a drummer you are? Cause you, you know, I've never heard, uh, many drummers talk about lessons they're taking, and which is Dave Weckl's the man. Uh, but mm-hmm. you are, you know, you're well polished. You always feel there's like there's room to learn. You never stop learning, never ever stop learning. But, you know, I I look at myself as I, I try to be a sponge. You know, pick up a little bit of something from everybody. You know, um, I was a huge Weckl fan growing up, um, and I, I mean. I, all of his videos, his CDs, his instructional videos, anytime I could see him live, I was always there. Um, he is I, – I have a list of, of, of five guys um, that really, really heavily influenced me in my career. Uh, number one was Brian Prout with Diamond Rio. Um, Brian, it, it's great because I've gotten to know Brian, and uh, every time I see – and I've seen Diamond Rio, I don't know how many times. And anytime they're on the Opry with us, I always run out on stage whenever they're on. And I sit in one of the pews on the stage right behind Brian. And no matter how no matter how many times I've seen him and I know the songs, I always learn something new every time I watch him. Brian's one. Um, obviously, Chester uh, is, is on my top five. Weckl is on my top five. Uh, Jeff Picaro from Toto. Uh, oh yeah, just yeah. Wow. huge. I was a huge Jeff Carr fan, um, and Lonnie Wilson. Uh, Lonnie is a major session guy here in Nashville. Um, Lonnie, um, I mean, all the stuff on the '90s: Brooks and Dunn, Joe Diffie, Wade Hayes, Jody Messina. I mean, all that stuff is all Lonnie, and um, you know, and I, I'd say Eddie Bayers is right there with him as well. Because Eddie is a huge influence on me as well, and Eddie is, is, and Lonnie and Eddie both both guys are such gentlemen. Um, I've I've been very blessed to um, be around them and kind of get to know them, and both guys are just absolute gentlemen. So That's cool and That's fantastic cool. players, fantastic yeah, players that they are. And they've done a lot of stuff. You, you mentioned Eddie. It seems like every time you turn around, if, if there's some kind of like get together, you'll, you'll see Eddie behind the kit for sure he, he's still oh yeah him, which is cool Eddie, um, eddie's eddie's the man so he, he is he's great which you're not too shabby yourself you're the man too like i said well i i, I, I appreciate that but i i i'm man i'm i'm still trying to learn i'm i'm still learning here so I, yeah i'm I, I started in that phase and i'm still in it <laughs> um uh i saw you were playing some uh some really awesome uh roll patterns with your uh, foot, you, you know, like double pedals, but with one foot. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd read where your, 
now your ankles fuse together? Like, how does that affect your playing? What's the story behind that? So, uh, both of my ankles are fused together. Um, I am a hemophiliac. Um, my blood, which means my blood doesn't clot. Well, I had a lot of ankle injuries as a, as a kid, and due to the amount of injuries that I had in my ankles, um, my joints basically de- uh, deteriorated. And I had uh, bone rubbing against bone for years. Um, and eventually those bones rubbed against each other for, for so long, they kind of fused together naturally. So that happened when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to take a semester off of college whenever that happened. Um, but uh, it was it was weird because uh, there was there was a time it was probably six weeks that I didn't walk um, whenever whenever the fusing happened and it was weird um, learning how to play again um, I had to learn how to play with more leg less foot um, you know a lot of guys play heel down I can't play heel down. Because uh, my foot doesn't move like that, um, I slide into the pedal a lot. Um, you know, if you've ever seen the Jeff Picaro video about how he slides, dances on the pedal, and slides into the pedal, that's basically how I play. Um, a lot of the footwork, um, especially if you watch Dave Weckl, how his foot kind of dances on the pedal as well. Um, I use the balls of my feet um, to play the pedal, um, and I, I just. You know, whenever I started walking again, and all of this happened in the fall of 2000, well, 20 years ago, fall of 2000 is whenever they fused. And um, just learning how to play again and, uh, you know, just trying to find a way to make it work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, certain pedals do better with me. Um, you know, Pearl, uh, which I've grown up playing Pearl drums, I've always played pearl drums, always had pearl drums since I was a kid. And their eliminator pedals are fantastic. Um, and, you know, I just find the sweet spot on them and just, you know, kind of go to town with it. I play them loose, not too tight. Um, to me, I, I can't control a tight pedal with my ankle the way it is. Um, but uh, I play them, play them loose and, and, uh, I always say a prayer before I play. Just you know, <laughs> help me get through this. So, yeah. well, you think your chops seem to be, uh, you know, fantastic. I was really impressed with that. Do you wear a special shoe? Like you know, how some drummers it looks almost like they have on like a tap dancing shoe or something while they're playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope, I don't. I um, I'll play in flip flops. I'll play in. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'll play in flip flops. Um, I'll play barefooted sometimes. Um, uh-huh. I can play in socks, um, you know. Uh, usually with when we're out with Mark, I have a black pair of Merrells um, that I play in. No issues. So, <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, um, you know, thank you for all this information, and, and uh, you, you know, I really appreciate picking your brain. Let me say Merry Christmas mm-hmm. and Happy Holidays to you. What, what are your plans? What are you going to be doing? Well... Funny you asked. <laughs> um, we were planning on um, – we're going to do Christmas Eve here um, in Tennessee with um, my wife and my kids. And my wife's, my wife is also from Illinois like I am. Um, her family moved down here about three years ago. They live, they live about 15 minutes away from us now. So we're going to do Christmas Eve with her family, and uh, we'll get up Christmas morning and see what Santa left my kids. Nice. And uh, we were planning on heading up to Illinois uh, to see my family after that, but uh, um, I have a sick family member now, so we're going to end up staying here for Christmas. So, yeah. but uh, And then we'll see my family um, probably in the next week or so. So I got you. Yeah, I got to be but safe. We're gonna, yep, rather be safe than sorry. So we're going we're gonna to hang here and, uh, you know, just kind of – Kind of have a Tennessee Christmas. So nothing wrong with that. It'd be nice and seventy degrees, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm supposed to snow. Is it? Hey, I'll take it. I'd like to see that. It is supposed to snow. So I'm. 
I'm kind of excited about that. I haven't seen snow on Christmas in a long time. I bet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That would be something nice to see. All right, and that wraps up this year's first edition of the Uncharted Podcast into 2021. I want to take this time to thank you, the listener, because you can be doing anything at any time with anyone, and you're listening to me and my interviewees on this podcast, and I am truly grateful. Uh, with that being said, skyrocketing into this new year, I'll tell you a little story. Um, a year or so back, I was looking at a uh, social media page of a comic book artist, and I can't remember the name, and I regret that. Uh, but anyway, when he got started, before he became well-established, he had brought up in this post about uh, things that kept him going, uh, that gave him purpose when he was, you know, low and uh, felt depressed and didn't feel like he could go on, even suicidal thoughts. He uh, suggested finding something, you know, a week in advance, two or three weeks in advance, a month in advance, something to look forward to, to keep your life uh, on track. And uh, without the uh, uh, mention of my beautiful daughters keeping me going, uh, my thing is this podcast. And it wouldn't be possible without you, so I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because I truly love doing it. I love the interviews, and uh, without you, there's no point. Uh, so thank you so very, very much from the bottom of my heart because it's what keeps me going. Uh, it gives me a purpose, and it keeps growing, and I couldn't do it without you. So thank you so, so very much. All right, enough of the mushy-gushy. Uh, <laughs> thank you to my guest, singer-songwriter, actor Travis Howard, Mark Will's drummer, Mr. Bryce Wilson. And remember, whatever you're doing, I love you for you and where you're at in life, which basically means no matter what you're doing, how much money you have, uh, you know, whatever you got going on, I'm down with you. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Uh, here's to 2021 and many more podcasts, because if you keep listening to them, I'm going to keep making them. If you know anybody you think would be a good guest, have them hit me up, joshbelcher at hotmail.com. All right, have a great first week into the new year. Stay happy, safe, and healthy, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.